Before I start and get into it, I just want to read a verse, um, and it's just a prayer in the Colossians 1, um, and I feel like the Lord's been, throughout this worship experience, that the Lord's been highlighting Colossians, and it's going to be weaved throughout this message, even though it's not going to be on the slides. Um, so I'm just going to start out with this. Um, God, I ask that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Lord, I pray that we would be strengthened with all power, according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And you have transferred us from the domain of darkness and delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the word that you are <laughs> just breathing life on. And I just thank you, God, that you go, you're, you're God of your word and you're faithful to your word. And so I pray that as I speak your words, um, that they would fall on fertile ground and that you would prepare our hearts to receive everything that you have. And Lord, I just thank you, God, that you are Lord over all and that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And your name is above every name that is named. And so we praise you, we give you honor, we give you glory. In your name we pray, amen. So... Um, I'm going to share with you today about the kingdom of God and, and how it's very, very different from the kingdoms of this world. Uh, Jesus modeled a kingdom that was unlike any other kingdom uh, that most of humanity has ever encountered. Um, it's, it's very, very different. He's revealed it through his teaching and also living, and his very self. And then I, I so I I titled this Upside Down Kingdom, um, and God, <laughs> about uh, an hour before the message, or about an hour before I got to church, God switched the message on me, um, so that was awesome. It was a lot of edits, but God is good. Um, I'm still talking about the Upside Down Kingdom, but I, I originally thought the Upside Down Kingdom was the Kingdom of God because it's so different. Um, but as I was thinking and as I was looking at it, the upside-down kingdom is actually the kingdom of this world and because the kingdom of God was established first. Um, so God established his kingdom, and then, and then it got topsy-turvy, and then it flipped over. And, and his whole goal is to reconcile it back to where it should be. Um, so... I don't want you to stare at this too long lest you get vertigo, but I hope by the end of the message you will have spiritual vertigo and be reoriented to God's kingdom. Um, so I'm going to start with Jesus, where really all good things start. And so I'm going to focus on his birth. So in Galatians 4, it says, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And this is a very unique thing, a very... You know, Jesus came at a very unique time in history. 
And I just kind of want to give a little bit of history and what Jesus was born into. Um, because Jesus, at any point, Jesus could have been born, but at this time, God decided, all right, you're going. It's time. I'm sending you. <laughs> you're going to incarnate flesh. <laughs> you're, you're going to become a man. Um, first a baby, then a man. But, uh, but he was born in a, in a time, in a season, uh, during the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire lasted quite a bit. Um, but there was a period in, in, in the Roman Empire's history. It's called uh, the Pax Romana, meaning the peace of Rome. And this is, or the Roman peace. And so this is where the world that was dominated by the, the Roman Empire, and they had a, quite a large kingdom, and they called the king, the, all the known world, they conquered all the known world, but there was lots of places they didn't conquer. But this was the focal point of history at this point. Um, and they've established roads. Uh, there was a time of flourishing uh, for Rome and all the conquered kingdoms of Rome. And Rome kind of unified the world in a lot of ways. Um, it allowed access and travel and trade into all these different places that Rome has touched and conquered. Um, and while there's nation states that could be their own nation state, there's a lot of Roman culture and a lot of Roman influence that inculcated those cultures and those places and those regions. And so there was a general unifying factor of Rome. Rome was the world order at the time. Um, and they, they also created Roman roads. And Roman roads were pretty amazing. They're still, uh, they're still in use today. Um, they built them 2,000 years ago. And... Um, the, the, the amazing thing is not only their architecture and the engineering, but uh, these roads were safe passage. They were secured by Roman guards and Roman soldiers. And so um, right now, I mean, you could travel as a safe passage, which is an amazing thing, uh, because before you'd have to travel in caravans or maybe even have your own guards uh, to ward away bandits and those thieves and, thieves and robbers along the path. Um, so this is amazing because when Jesus ascended and he gave the Holy Spirit to his disciples and there was eventual persecution, uh, Christianity exploded. And the pathways that it traveled was the Roman road. <laughs> and so this was an amazing time because at no other point in history could it travel that fast and that well and that unhindered because people can go throughout the Roman Empire, and that's the, what the word did. Um, so it was an amazing time. But you don't want to tick off Rome. That's a really bad thing, um, because they enforce the peace by force. It's an overt exercise of power. Um, and not unlike we see the dynamics of power today, um, you know, with, with Rome and like with many other systems and places, uh, might makes right. <laughs> and so these, these areas and these countries and these peoples, they've been conquered. They are subjects to Rome, and they're subject to Roman law. Um, if you go against that law, there will be consequences. And if as a, as a people or a group that you decide to defy Rome, that's when they get really mad. Um... So <laughs> they would send legions 
to this area if there was a if there was a riot or if there was an uprising. And during the time of the Pax Romana, there was relatively few uprisings, um, and before it deteriorated, uh, but there was some. And you know, one of them was Jerusalem, uh, Israel. Um, there was always, <laughs> I mean, the the Jews at the time, Rome was a burr in their saddle. Um, although Rome gave them a lot of license because they were one of the only religions that can keep their, their God and, and singularly and not have to bow to Caesar um, because they were so uppity <laughs> that they're like, just give them their God and okay, fine, we'll make, we'll make an exception for you. Um, but there was, there was those in, in, in Jerusalem who really oppose Roman rule um, I, and... And it, you know these were called the zealots, and there was some of the Jesus disciples. Um, one of them was Simon the Zealot, and they, they would they would often be quite cantankerous in Jerusalem and against Roman rule, and bucking their authority. And try and you know this is what a lot of the the Jews were looking for when they were accessing when they were looking forward to Messiah. And so Messiah would promise deliverance from the hands of the powers in our re- region. And we once again um, be our own people. Uh, but in 70 AD, um, or the late six, 60s, um, there was rebellion in Jerusalem, and Rome answered, and uh, they absolutely destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, um, and exactly how Jesus said it would happen. So 40 years earlier, Jesus prophesied, when you see Jerusalem, surrounded by armies, get out. Do not stay. Um, there will not be one stone on another on this temple. And so this place is going to be decimated. And it was true. And by all historical accounts that I've consulted, um, not, not one Christian died. However, a million to a million and a half Jews died. And there was a, I mean... It, it was the end of the Old Covenant at that point. There was no temple. They, they couldn't do anything regarding their religion. And, and the nature of Judaism transformed after that point um, to rabbinic Judaism. And it's very, in a lot of ways, very different than what we saw in the first century in Second Temple Judaism. Um, all that to say is, uh, yeah, <laughs> power. The nature of power is... You know, in the, mod, in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, it was might makes right. In a lot of ways, it, those who hold power exercise power, and the way they exercise power is control. It's coercion. It's fear. Um, we've seen that with current governments <laughs> exercising fear um, to put their citizens in place and compliance. Um, but this is not what Jesus modeled. This is not what he demonstrated. And... This is, the, this is the creator of the world. <laughs> um, and we're just going to go through some passages very briefly. Um, and then we'll talk about Jesus and his, and his model. So in Matthew 5, uh, 2 through 7, um, these are the Beatitudes. And I, I, I put the Passion Translation on there because sometimes we can get so over-familiarized with a certain idea or... Um, way of scripture, of reading, read scripture, that we just gloss over it. So this was a fresh for me, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to freshly look at this too. Um, 
So in verse 3, it says, What happiness comes to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For yours is the realm of heaven's kingdom. What delight comes to you when you wait upon the Lord? For you will find what you long for. What blessing comes to you when gentleness lives in you? For you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness, for you will be satisfied. How blessed are you when you demonstrate tender mercy, for tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. And then it goes on in verse 8. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure, for then your eyes will be open to see more and more of God. How joyful you are when you make peace, for then you will be recognized as a true child of God. How enriched you are when persecuted for doing what is right. For then you experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How blessed you are when people insult and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. So leap for joy since your heavenly reward is great. For you are being rejected the same way the prophets were before you. It's a little different. It's a little different way of looking at life. It's a little way of uh, different than conducting life. It is not just a little different. It's a lot different. He goes on to say in uh, verse 38, he says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Which, how many of that is our first response? (laughs) Like someone slaps you in the face, you're going to be a lot of things, but you're not going to say, may I have another, please? (laughs) So the, this, is, this is not, it's like, I can't imagine actually hearing some of these words that Jesus is saying, because they're under the, the oppression of Roman you know, power and authority, and they're feeling the thumb of Rome on them, inhibiting them, uh, accosting them, and obviously there's resentment, there's bitterness, there's um, rage. Like, I'm raging against this system. Um, and then he says this in verse 43. He says, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, <laughs> love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So it's like... <laughs> Like, I can't imagine them saying, okay, love my enemies, all right, my mother-in-law um, and the Romans. No, <laughs> I've got to pray for both of them. Um, so, but this is like, be like God. God is freely distributing his goodness and his love to all creation and to everyone. Um, and this is how we know we'll be like the son of the father. And this is what Jesus modeled. He demonstrated it. You know, as he was being crucified, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus is modeling this for us. He's modeling it in his life. And we see this in Romans 5. It says this, You see, at, the just right, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's every one of us. Which is what was just read in Romans 3. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. (laughs) That is good news. And 
Jesus is, is I just want to build up Jesus for a moment. Um, you can't do that enough, actually. Um, but Jesus, <laughs> Jesus could have been born to Caesar. He could have been born to the most rich, opulent, powerful force and family in the world. And if he had been done so, it would have been an amazing and great condescension. Like, because the creator still became the creation. He still entered into humanity and said, I'm going to abide by these rules. I've made these rules. I'm the one who made everything. And I'm going to abide by them. I'm going to occupy this space. But he didn't. He wasn't born in the richest, most opulent family. He went lower still. He was born to a young girl and a carpenter on the backside of a desert in a podunk town in a cave. <laughs> like, that's our king. That's how our king chooses to enter the world. Now, he's going to enter the world in glory and power, but that's at the end. But, now, but the way he's introduced himself into the world is very, very humbly. It's like of no repute, of no status, of nothing to say, I, I'm, yeah, I'm something. <laughs> it's almost like he did everything to avoid that. And he emptied himself completely. He emptied himself completely. And not, he didn't even equate something, equality with God, something to be apprehended or grasped. And so, and then he says things like the son of man came to serve and not be served. It's like this is the creator of all things. All things were made through him and for him and everything that was made. That is Christ. And he's going to be reconciling everything to himself. So he is the, the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. And it all starts and ends with Christ. Um, and he demonstrates this life and this model of ministry, of serving. And he, he even washes the defeat of the person who's going to betray him that very night. <laughs> and this is the God who loves. And this is the God who cares. And this is who he is. And this, so this is how he manifests to us. This is how he demonstrates his love for us, by self-sacrificing, self-sacrificial love. Um, Greg Boyd said, when God flexes his muscles, it looks like dying on a cross. This is the demonstration of his power. And his grand demonstration of his power, saying, I'm dying for you. <laughs> it wasn't coercion. It wasn't manipulating our emotions. It wasn't forcing us to be reprogrammed so that we follow and love him. It says, I love you. And I'm making a way for you. And I'm saving you. Because I love you. And so I'm redeeming mankind. I'm redeeming and restoring you. And so the exercise, so, and he taught this, this very aspect of the kingdom that to get high, to get high status in the kingdom, you got to go low. <laughs> and that's what Jesus modeled. He went from the highest high to the lowest low back to the highest high because God exalted him far above all rule and power and authority. So the exercise of power in, in this kingdom, in this world, it's about control, and the exercise of power in the kingdom of God is about honor and restoration. And so, 
all of the demonstrative gifts of the Holy Spirit and even the fruits of the Spirit, they all have a restorative and redemptive function. And so when we talk about the dunamis power of God, we're talking about people being restored in their body, in their mind, in their soul. <laughs> we're talking about societies being restored. We're talking about um, communities being restored. It's like, because when you get the individual person, and then you get their family, <laughs> and then you get the families, it, it becomes a community, and it becomes an influence. It becomes a force. And I'll get into more of that, but this is how God exercises power, <laughs> which is an, am an amazing use of power, because I don't think that's my first instinct. If I'm amassing all of this wealth and power, that I'm going to give it all away <laughs> and serve others. Um, that is not a way of the world. That is a way of the kingdom. And this is, this is, this is Christ. This is what he's doing. And um, even, even just in the creation account and the, the creation event that, you know, he's, he's longing for this kingdom to influence this world. Um, but I'll get into that later. And I'm just going to transition here. As I build up Christ and as I exalt Christ, we're going to, we're going to move into Antichrist. Because um, I do not want you to be unaware of the devil's schemes. And I, when I say Antichrist, I'm not talking about Henry Kissinger. Um, I'm not talking about a unifying world figure. I'm talking about the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, the spirit that opposes Christ that seeks to set itself, itself its own kingdom and distort the kingdom of God and distort, and Im distort the image bearers of Christ and distort Christ's message. It's all about distortion and inversion. And so I would say that the, the Antichrist kingdom is the upside-down kingdom. Um, and to start talking about Antichrist, we're going to be talking about um, this first-century heresy that influenced the early church what we call it Gnosticism. And to, to get into Gnosticism, um, we're going to get into scriptures because the scriptures actually address Gnosticism. But Gnostic, it's spelled with a G. It doesn't sound like it, but G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic. But it actually comes from the word gnosis, uh, which is the Greek word for knowledge. And this wasn't just common knowledge, this was special knowledge special uh, spiritual knowledge that you're seeking. Uh, it's called esoteric knowledge, but it's actually a mystical type knowledge. Like you, you're looking for signs, you're looking for things in the spirit and to divine what's happening in the spirit and, and attaining enlightenment through um, knowledge so that you know more, so that you can be more, so that, you're, so that your internal reality becomes manifest. Um, it's a weird thing. But... Um, the Gnostics believed that, the, even the Christian Gnostics of that time, they believed that, that the, the spirit is good, and all things spiritual are good. This is what we are supposed to be. And everything matter-related, related to the physical world, what you can see, hear, and touch, um, the material reality that we live in, is evil. And that the body itself is an imprisonment of the good spirit within you. So body bad, spirit good. And so they spent much time trying to ascend and break the paradigm 
of, of their bodies and, and attain spiritual knowledge so that they can attain godhood. So because in the Gnostic tradition, in the ancient Gnostic tradition, they have a creation story. Um, but before I get into that, the, I'll talk to the Christian Gnosticism. Uh, and this was an influence in the early church. And um, because at that time, something called uh, Platonic dualism was also at play. But it's a philosophy, it's a Greek philosophy based on Plato. But it was very similar. Uh, the, the, the material world is, is not the best thing, but the, the, the heightened awareness of knowledge and spirit, that's the good thing. Um, and it's actually affected Christianity quite a bit, uh, even those notions. Um, we get some monastic orders of, of monks and, and Christians who flagellate themselves because they're, they want to uh, beat the sin out of them, <laughs> out of their bodies, and they demonize the body uh, and, and heighten the spirit. So it's like the spirit is you know, the end-all be-all, but our bodies and this world is just not that great. And so it's a life of suffering until we attain heaven. Um, it influences our, our view of healing. So if you, if you think that it's all about just your personal salvation and knowledge of salvation and that you know you're going to, to heaven, it's about saving souls, then why would you be preoccupied with the material world? Why would you even pray for healing? Well, no, that, I, that healing is actually sanctifying me because it's destroying the body. And so my spirit's getting better as my body's getting worse. Um, or you can even take it the flip side. My spirit is good. I'm good. I'm good. I can do whatever I want with my body. It's all going to crap anyway. It's all, <laughs> it's all being discarded anyway. What's it matter? So you can get nihilistic <laughs> with this idea that the body is evil. But that's not what Jesus demonstrated. That's not what he said. And so if it's all about just saving souls, if, you, if, it's, if the Christian life is just about getting people to the knowledge of salvation and escaping this world, then he would spend zero time talking about the kingdom of God. <laughs> he was, I would think he would spend a little time talking about commands of God and how God sees the world and how he wants us to, to view him. Because so much of the Bible... The vast majority of the Bible speaks to this reality here and now. And Jesus came in and he incarnated into this reality here and now. And he wants to restore and redeem this reality here and now. Um, so we can be so heavenly minded where I have no earthly good. Um, so let's look at 1 John 1. And 1 John 1 it says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard and we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. See, hear, touch. We saw Jesus. We touched him. We heard him. We were with him. We know what it's like. Jesus came in the flesh. And so this is how you identify the spirit of Antichrist is in 1 John 4. 
It says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God, God does not listen to who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So this was an identification that if these spirits do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, they are false. And obviously the heresy with Gnosticism is the Gnostic Christians did not believe that Jesus came in the flesh. They believed that Jesus pretended to be in the flesh because if he actually came in the flesh, that would be an abomination. Why would he... Why would he suffer that evil, and why would he exemplify the evil of, of living in a body if he's good? Because they revered him as a good teacher who is filled with esoteric and mystical knowledge. So the way of salvation is knowing. And so they believe Christ to know. He knew things about God, and he revealed things about God, and that was their method of salvation, is to know, get beyond this earthly realm and get in the realm of the Spirit. And so... <laughs> this, I don't, you know, why am I talking about Gnosticism? Why, how does this relate to us? Um, and it, it's, it's, it's really pernicious. It's really, like, actually so subversive. And once I realized what was happening and what I feel like the Lord was revealing about these things, it was like connecting the dots and making sense. And so I hope to make some dot connected and make some sense to you. And so I'm going to bridge this and how it relates to us. Uh, but first, I'm going to talk about ancient Gnosticism. So this predates Christian Gnosticism. And there's not a really... Um, there's texts about Gnosticism, and, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, but there's not a unified, agreed way of conducting and believing about these things, but they're all tethered together. But there's certain commonalities, and one was the creation account. Um, and their creation account, the Gnostic creation account, actually employs Genesis. Um, but it starts with an all good, a good and benevolent God who's above everything, who's pure spirit. And, but he's in a realm, it's, it's a weird thing, but he's in a realm where thoughts become reality. And so his first thought brought forth logic and wisdom. Logos and Sophia. And, and Sophia uh, wanted to create things, but she could not create things. But she ended up creating something called a demiurge, uh, which was uh, a powerful worker that did not have a lot of intelligence. And that thing ended up creating the world. And so they, they say that the creator of this world, this physical world, is the demiurge, and not, not Yahweh, the creator God. And so, but this, this demigod... Uh, or this demiurge, it was not a, actually a good thing. It was an evil entity. It was it was because it was malformed. It was it was done out of uh, something you weren't supposed to do. So it was basically created in sin, and because it's created in sin, it the creation itself is sinful. Um, 
which is an antithesis to what Genesis says, and God created, and he called it good. Um, and, and with this creator, he created man, and, and, but he didn't have any life to give man. So there was, a, I think it was Sophia or, or some other god breathed into man and put divine spirits in man. Um, and this made uh, the Demiurge jealous because these, this man, these, these people are more like gods than he is. And so he's very, um, oh, what was, I don't know, okay. Juvenile. Uh, and he imprisons the man in the garden, like a petting zoo, like the Garden of Eden. He imprisons man. And it's only the serpent. The serpent is actually the one who liberates man. So man is in this prison of creation, in this Eden, um, in prison under creation, not allowed to access their godhood or divinity. So they're imprisoned in Eden, and the serpent comes and says, you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you will be like God. And so they're breaking their imprisonment by eating from knowledge, um, which is an inverse of what, of what the Genesis is about. Um, because it's actually deception. But in the Gnostic creation account, the serpent is a hero. Um, and so it's imprisoned, and then they eat of it. And then the Demiurge gets really mad. He casts them out of Eden. He says, no, you've become like God. No, you're, I'm, I'm throwing you out. And you're now going to enter a world of suffering and toil. Um, and so the, the life that we humans live are now about attaining the knowledge, again, to be once again to ascend to Godhood, to once again join God in a oneness, um, which is a perversion of Genesis and the creation account. Um, so for the Gnostic, this whole world is a prison, and we must attain certain knowledge to break out of the prison and out of the paradigms and structures and rules of this world. Um, and, but in creation, in Christianity, our world was created good. The, the imprisonment is sin. And the solution is God to send forth his son to redeem man from his sin and to restore original creation. So with the Gnostic, their, their salvation is man becoming God. And with Christianity, our salvation is God becoming man. So you see the inversion here. Um, and this is why it says that this is the spirit of Antichrist. Because <laughs> Christ, <laughs> he's restoring us back to his created order. And, and Gnosticism is breaking out of that created order. And so when God sets an order, it's a law. It's like, you shall not do these things. But what is the nature of Gnosticism? The nature of Gnosticism is to transgress that law, is to break free from the law, is to actually sin. Because to sin is to miss the mark. That's what the definition of sin is. And so the Gnostic representation, so um, this becomes 
rules, regulations, paradigms, the, even the order of creation, that is an imprisonment. We're imprisoned under these things. And to break free, you need to transgress these boundaries. You need to break the order of creation. You need to break God's laws because these are constrictive and imprisoning. And these uh, are the oppressive system. And so you break out of that. But in, in Christianity, we call that sin. <laughs> when we transgress the boundaries of what God has set out. Um, so the end of this, you know, and we know that the, the end of sin, sin, you know, desire brings forth sin, and sin, the end of sin is death. And so Gnosticism is a way unto death. <laughs> and Christianity is a way unto life. And so you have Christ and Antichrist. You have creation and anti-creation. Um, and how does, that, how does that play into today? So I'm, I'm going to explain some, uh, I guess, heavier topics. But um, I was listening to a teaching recently, and he made these connections that fired a lot of things off in my brain. Um, so he was explaining how Marxist communism is actually just Gnosticism repackaged. And when he explained it, it was like, whoa, okay, wow. Um, so <laughs> one, of the, one of the most destructive uh, ideologies of near history and recent history has been Marxism. Um, and then Karl Marx was a philo German philosopher in the 19th century. Um, and he wasn't successful in his ideas, but his ideas were very revolutionary uh, at the time. Um, but they were actually picked up by some revolutionaries in the early 20th century. And these were, some of these ideas were really interesting um, because all of the dynamics of, about Marxism and communism were all predicated on power. So um, the, the chief end of all human interaction and the, way, the why we interact and the sum of it all is about power and the coercion and getting power over people. Uh, and that's the way communism saw, Marxists saw the world. And um, he describes something called the proletariat. Um, he called it the free man, uh, the true man, the proletariat. Um, these are the workers. These are the, un, these are the lower class. And then he called the upper class, the rich people, the people who structured society, the people who made rules and laws and regulations. He called them the bourgeoisie. And um, so man is imprisoned under the bourgeoisie, the proletariat, they're imprisoned. They're, they're contained and constrained by these mechanisms that are above them, that are part of this created order called the bourgeoisie. And to break out of that prison, you need a revolution. You need to seize the means of production. So, so it, the, the revolutionary spirit was to seize the, all the manufacturing and dismantle and tear down and break down all of the upper society. And, um, and then man can be free. Man can create a utopia. Man can once again ascend to where he was supposed to be. So this is Gnosticism's influence on Marxism. Um, and, and, and Karl Marx, he, he famously opined that, that 
religion is the opiate of the masses, that people are drugged with religion, and that the starting point of socialism is atheism. Because when, you're, when you have religion, you can't, it's another type of imprisonment. You're lulled to sleep over the true realities of, of, of nature, and that, that you are oppressed, and that you need liberation, and the way to liberation is to transgress all of society, and to tear it down and break it down, so that you can become like a god. Um, and this is, it always ends in destruction. Because um, this thing is not, communism is not a creative force. It, it, it only tears down. It only destroys. It only breaks. Um, and so they're really good at identifying uh, grievance. Because it weaponizes grievance and says, and then it exaggerates grievance or even manufactures grievance. And we know that when people are stirred out of a sense of justice, it's one of our strongest senses. It's also one of God's strongest attributes. And so justice gets perverted, and compassion and mercy get perverted. Um, and so these are, <laughs> this is anti-God, because it's, and why I bring this up and why this is important here is I'm going to talk about some relevant topics concerning our culture today. Um, one is race Marxism. Um, Another term for it might be a critical race theory. But these ideas of racism, or these ideas of, of class warfare, of the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, of, of the, the true man and the oppressor, the victim and the oppressor, the marginalized, um, can, can easily be the overlaid race. And so the vast majority of Western society was established by white people, uh, Europeans, uh, Italians, French, Germans, uh, Britons, uh, Dutch, uh, Russians. So um, this construct of the white man, uh, well, actually, these constructs of Western civilization are, are associated with a race. Um, and they make that point distinctly. Like, it's the white man who did these things. And so any grievance, any injustice, any systemic issue is, um, you can point to the white guy, the white man. And unfortunately, it's been so associated with, um, and you, you can see these things in culture, but, but whiteness has become like a verb. Uh, and it's, a, it's like, you can't escape being white. Like, you can't dye your skin. And so whiteness is something to be repented of because it's part of the oppression. And so there, the way racism makes Marxism works is like, once you're woke, or knowing, or not the gnosis, when you're aware or awakened um, to the, the systemic injustice, you can make um, very generalizations about race and saying white people are oppressors and black people are victims. And to actually counter any of that narrative, you're on the outside. So if a black person would decide that, hey, I'm not a victim and I don't ascribe to this system, um, then the Marxists would say that you are a race traitor. Or if a non-white person would say, oh, I'm not part of a victim class, I'm not going to abide by those things, then you would be accused of being white adjacent. Uh, it's, it's absurd. Um, but what we're dealing with is not, we're not dealing with ideologies. 
We're not dealing with uh, systems of thought. We're dealing with an ancient religion. <laughs> uh, and that's why you see the progress of religion over time. This feels like a religion. Logic doesn't get through. And, and it only brings disunity. It brings disunity among people because you can't change your race. And so you're inextricably linked to an idea, to a concept that you cannot escape. Um, so if you have a system where whites are the eternal oppressors and black people are eternal victims, then you're always in a constant class or race warfare. And that system does not end until one of them is done. And it's like the whole end game is destruction. It's an anti-creation. It has nothing to do with harmony. They don't even want harmony. By their own tenets, they don't want harmony. They want separation, they want segregation, and they want, um, yeah, <laughs> power. And no sacrifice is great enough. Um, you know, you might have heard it said that uh, <laughs> you have, to make an omelet, you've got to crack a few eggs. And so one of the core tenets of Marxism is the ends justify the means. So because of this champion of justice, you, you know, we have to attain this gnosis, awakening, and awareness at all costs and implement this. It doesn't matter what evil I do along the path because it, the good outweighs whatever evil comes. And so the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the world. Uh, tens of millions of people have lost their, lost their lives to these ideas. Um, you think of uh, Stalinism, tens of millions of people. Mao, tens of millions of people. Pol Pot, millions of people. Those are just big threes. So <laughs> we're talking about hundreds of millions of people. It's, it, it destroys life, and it destroys people, and this is its goal. Uh, it is an antichrist. It's, it's like, I, wanna, I want you to make that connection. There's antichrist at work here, and so these are not just ideas that people thought of, and it's just like, oh, it's catching on for no reason. There, there is a scheme of the enemy that is coming against culture and the world who are bringing these ideas. I'll give you another couple examples. Um, feminism. Um, second wave feminism in the 60s. Um, and I'm, I'm not condemning anybody who ascribes to these philosophies because the philosophies themselves are the enemy. <laughs> and, this, and, the, and the spirit behind this is actually Antichrist. And so people are bound and trapped in lies of Antichrist because of these ideas. But when I say feminism, I don't mean all of feminism. There are aspects of feminism that are really good. But there's some other aspects um, specifically concerning abortion. Um, and the way that Abortion and birth control were modeled was, you know, and you might have heard these lies yourself. Um, you might have experienced this yourself, but, you know, I'm not a woman, so I don't know. Uh, but the patriarchy is the, is the prisoning system that you must, you must ascend, that you must break through. Um, I didn't ask to be born in this woman's body. Um, and how dare men go around and they can be promiscuous and not have any consequence when I'm born with a child and it becomes a burden. But abortion is a way to release that burden. I'm not tethered to this thing anymore. And so I can... So <laughs> there is a conflation between equality and sameness. 
And so the fact that I can't do what things biologically man can do, then I'm going to attain the knowledge to subvert that and actually do what man, man can do and not give birth and not carry children. And so it's a gutting of what Christ has done. It's a gutting of how God created woman. Um, so, so this, so it's a it's an anti-creation thing. It's like I am I am transgressing my created design, and I reject it. And this is, and and then Christ is like, I love you. I made you wonderfully, and I'm redeeming the aspects that have been broken. And so you see the lie of Antichrist, and then you see Christ. And you only need to look at redemption. Um, so instead of gender is my imprisonment, and um, yeah. So you know, and the funny thing is that the language of the, the Marxist movements have been one of liberation. And so a woman is liberated from her home and children by being able to practice abortion, by being able to transgress and take and destroy life, which is ultimately sin, that's liberation, and that's freedom. And that's a lie. And if you believe that lie, there's redemption. Um, but obviously, this results in destruction of society. It results in destruction of the nuclear family. It results in destruction of, of things, and these things are cracking. Um, and you take another one, uh, gender. Gender is a prison. Male-female distinction is a prison. These things are prisons that we must... So my, my spirit, the inside of me, knows I'm something else than what this prison of this body is. And so I'm going to make steps to ensure that this body conforms to my ideas. And so, talking about mutilation and transition... And so this is, this is the prison that you're in, these bodies. Um, sexuality can be the same thing. I am imprisoned. I, I'm not defined by these traditional normal, normal, normal norms. And the thing is, like, we know that deviation is a result of sin. And we know that Jesus comes to redeem and save and restore that which was lost. And so Jesus is saying... <laughs> I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to heal you. And this is saying, whatever normal is, and I'm, I'm thinking something different, that that sin is what is true and actually gets me breaking, off that, uh, breaking out of that prison and enlightens me uh, that I know. So this is Gnosticism. Um, and so this is why... So all of these movements and philosophies and ideologies about gender, race, sexuality... It's about subverting God's created order. It's about marring the image of God by deceiving his image bearers, which actually wounds God. So when you're astray after a lie in the spirit of deception, then it's misrepresentation of who God is because we're made in his image. And the Antichrist wants to stick it to God and say, look at your creation. <laughs> look how I'm perverting it and deviating it. Um, but all things have been created through him and for him that was made. So, <laughs> so 
So I, I name this because it's hard to recognize when you're in it. It's hard to recognize the unifying theme of why we're grieved at certain things when we see it in our culture. Why we look at things and say, I know that's not right, and I know that's not God's design, and it's grieving me. And it's actually the spirit of Antichrist. Um, and <laughs> so I recently took a, um, a uh, retreat, a pastoral retreat, even though I'm not a pastor. I say I'm a lay leader, so I, I was able to go. Um, <laughs> but I, I went to this, this beautiful place in Indiana, and it was a retreat for pastors. And there was like four cabins there. There's not a whole lot of people at all. And you just, there's a lot of contemplation and quiet, and then you could just be with the Lord. And it was, it was very uh, restful for me. And at the, the last night, I, uh, I was approached by somebody and said, oh, um, hey, I'm having a fire. If you want to join me tonight, you're welcome to. So I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. My last night here, I'll just sit by a fire. And then I sit by a fire. And um, so the person I'm talking to, I didn't get a really clear look at them. But as I'm looking at them, I thought originally that it's a very homely woman. Um, it was not a woman. But it was someone pretending to be a woman. And they were a pastor. And they were part of an denomination that accepts that. And we got to talking, and as we were talking, it became very clear that this is not a very homely woman. This is, in fact, a man. Um, <laughs> you can be confused, OK? Um, <laughs> that's the point. Um, <laughs> so as I was talking to them, I was getting their story a little bit. And we didn't actually talk anything about gender. Um, but we talked theology, we talked philosophy, we talked history. There's a lot of things we just discussed. And um, later, as I went back to my cabin, I, I looked their name up, because they, they gave me two first female names. Um, I looked their name up, and it, so lo and behold, they're an they're, they're ordained pastor, and they have a couple of degrees in theology. Um, they had transitioned six years ago, and they were... Um, but it says in their biography that they were wrestling for 10 years, and then they achieved um, a breakthrough, and then that's when they transitioned. And I remember in our conversation, they were talking about um, everything changed for them when they, when they put God out of the box. When they, <laughs> when they made God bigger to accommodate that. So everything opened up to them. And they self-described themselves as a mystic, which is a Gnostic, which God was revealing to these things, like stirring these things, and I actually met a Christian Gnostic in the flesh. And we see, I saw that exemplified in their life. And I saw it, you know, they, they were a yoga instructor, and they, they loved to copy scriptures of the Bible. They also loved to copy uh, Hindu sutras. And they also loved Celtic mysticism. And they, they were employing all these things. But they were, they were leading a VBS in the church that they were in. Um, and it was, I couldn't, <laughs> like, to me, this exemplified a spirit of error to the, a great degree. And, and to see how these things took place and why, and why they took place. Um, and... Ultimately, it's about um, 
pulling Jesus down. Instead of, instead of him being Lord of lords, he's Lord among lords. Instead of being a king of kings, he's king among other kings. And so when you distort Christ, it is an antichrist because you're bringing him down and he is no longer Lord. No longer is narrow the way, but wide is the way of destruction. Um, and so, <laughs> like, the Bible says that all the, wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. And so when you go outside of Christ, and that's our temptation for everyone, our temptation is to find that wisdom and knowledge outside of Christ. Um, and that's the temptation. And when we do, we hurt, and we grieve, and we suffer for it. Um, but God, that's not the way God wants it to be. So I'm going to go into... Um, Yeah, <laughs> ironically, those beatitudes uh, that foment discontent, or that, no, the, the Marxist ideas that foment discontent and saying you're not who God made you to be and that, that get you astray after a lie, um, <laughs> like, Marx, Marxism doesn't work if there's no revolutionaries. And revolutionaries don't work with happy people. And so you must foment something. You must stick something in their, their call and say, this is the issue, this is the problem. I mean, I read, another, I read an article uh, relating that if you're into fitness, you're a racist. Um, and so health can be an imprisonment. So with a, like a the body positivity kind of thing and sometimes promoting unhealthy lifestyles, so health, you're breaking out of that prison of health, normal health restrictions. <laughs> but it could be anything. This doesn't, it doesn't, it's not consigned to a certain idea. It's, it's all about subverting what God has instituted and what God has created. And, and what God has done in Jesus is he became part of the creation to redeem creation. Um, and I, I, I thought about it this way. This is not the scripture. Um, uh, he did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. And, and if I put in his created order, he did not come to abolish the created order, but to fulfill it. So the law of God being established in people's lives brings redemption and resolution and restoration. And this is what he's about here on earth, here now. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so this is... Jesus modeled this in prayer. Um, you know, I don't understand how we do this sometimes, um, but you know that statement, like, if there's something bad going on, or if you're really struggling, and you, you just share with people, like, hey, man, this is really happening, and, um, and they give that wonderful answer, like, my thoughts and prayers are with you. that would be nice if they actually did the second part. But odds are they only did the first part. <laughs> and those are, the first part's pretty useless unless you're Gnostic. And then it was like, my thoughts. No, okay. Um, <laughs> but Jesus modeled this in the Lord's Prayer. Um, 
Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done just in heaven. Someone correct me. <laughs> yes. On earth as it is in heaven. So his cry, his model, this demonstration, like, hey, that wonderful order of God in the redemptive um, rule and reign of who he is, that Edenic paradise, that, right here, here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, give us this day our daily bread. Sustain us with your life. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Like, this is modeling restoration. Uh, so you're, you're petitioning God to, to bring his power at work to bear on the earth. You're connected to him, sustained by him, and then you release forgiveness and you're forgiven. And, um, yeah, and you're not leading led astray after a lie, and then you're walking free from evil. Um, this, is a, this, is, this is all about the king and his kingdom. So let's uh, just want to look at uh, 2 Corinthians 10. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud and obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you've done be fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. So this, <laughs> all the wisdom and treasures of knowledge, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. We cannot deviate from Christ. We look to Christ. And so God's, God's weapons are redemptive. God's power is to restore. And um, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this world. And the reason I, I feel like I've, I've shared this teaching, the reason I shared that, um, you know, I, <laughs> I, did, I had planned on preaching on prayer. And then God gave me Gnosticism. I'm like, what? Why? Like, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is dicey, God. Like, what is going on? But I, I want you to be aware of the enemy's schemes. And I want you to help give you a framework of how to interpret what's going on in our world and, and realizing what's actually going on in our world and what we're seeing displayed in all of our media is actually the enemy and why it's the enemy and what it's coming from. And this is an antichrist because the antichrist doesn't have to be completely opposed to Christ. It just has to distort him. It has to distort notions of justice and mercy, of love. <laughs> Have not these things been distorted? Yeah. They've been very distorted. And it, it robs us. And, and that's the thing. It's a really weird system. But if, if you break with the system, so if you're under the, if you have awareness, if you're awakened, if you're woke, whatever, if you have the awareness 
and you've broken out of that prison, whatever shell that was, whatever gender or um, ideology or race, that th racial construct that was, and you break with it, and you're accepted by other people who broke with it, and you seek to go back to your restored order, to the created order, you go back to Jesus, you go back to the path of redemption, and you get to a sense of normalcy in the way God has instituted it, you are castigated. You are cast out. You are like a pariah. And it's like you who have sinned. So it's a very much an inverse. So I, I hope the contrast is made of how these dynamics work <laughs> and how this is a subversion of Christ, but these are actually anti-Christ. It's, it's a really weird thing. Um, and let's see. Yeah. So, so but the, the process is the same, and it's everything goes through Jesus. We can't really escape that reality. And to deny that reality brings us pain and suffering and death. The end result is death. And we want people to be alive, and I want people to be alive, and I don't want to be people trapped in these lies anymore. And, and the thing is, the enemy's not done throwing out these ideas. Anything be can become an imprisonment that you have to know and be awakened to and then brings destruction <laughs> because it's subverting God's created order. And so I can't anticipate what's going to happen next. I have ideas, but this is all part of the same tree. This is coming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And my advocacy is that we eat from the tree of life through Christ. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and I, and, I, and I talk about Antichrist um, because it's really helpful to have a name because name denotes authority. And we know the name that is above every other name. Um, and so he is above all things. And praise God. Um, but we don't have to be confused. Uh, I want to read from Colossians. This is what I was just reading that I thought was like, oh, my Colossians 2. Um, yes. So 2 verse, actually, I'm just going to start with 2.1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all that have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. Now, some of you have been affected by the things that I've said. You may know somebody. You may have been personally affected. You may be, have believed those lies yourself. You may have been experiencing the confusion and the hurt of someone who is really entrapped by these things, and it's causing destruction. And it's caused destruction for your family. It's caused destruction for your relationships and your friendships. And, um, yeah, and I, I just... Well, I just want to, I'm going to pray real quick, and then I'm going to ask Aaron to come up to see if he has anything to share, because I feel like um, I'm going to hand it off. <laughs> but I'm just going to pray this. Um, so Jesus, I just thank you, God, for your word. I thank you that you are the word made flesh, and that your word is truth, and that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to the Father except through you. And so repentance looks like coming to you, being embraced by you, being loved by you, being accepted by you, because we're accepted in the beloved. And so all we have to do is turn and recognize that fact. And so we come to you, God. And Lord, I just ask right now that you administer to hearts, that you administer to people. Um, man, there's, there's such confusion and hurt and shame and pain associated with the lies propagated by Antichrist. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would break the influence of Antichrist off our people in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I pray for a disinfectant. And it's like some, some of you might have been led by lies to think that you're not who, you, who God created you to be. And he's just lovingly drawing you near himself and saying, I have you. Just let me have you. So surrender to Jesus is the way. It's not breaking out of your imprisonment of these constructs, of these systems. It's actually surrendering to Jesus. And he said, this is how you're empowered. This is how you live. <laughs> This is how you yield to me. And I will exalt you. Humble yourself and I will exalt you. And so you will be exalted in your created order. You will be re redeemed in your, and restored in your function and your purpose and who you are. So God, I thank you, God, for your mercy. I thank you, God, for your love. And I thank you, God, that you are a good God. And that you, you create good things. And that you redeem us to you. And you save us. And you restore us. And not only us, but even all of creation. So we praise you and thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.